From Luminary Media, this is Karamo, a podcast. Hey friends, welcome to Karamo. I'm your host Karamo, just in case you didn't know. And on today's show, we're gonna be talking about closure. Closure is something we all deserve, but when you don't get closure, it can cause us serious distress. But sometimes the person you need closure from isn't ready to give it. So my question is, is an apology necessary to receive closure? We all have different feelings on this topic, and we're going to be talking to someone by the name of Cody, who contacted me on social media, who is looking for closure from someone in her family. We're also gonna be talking to comedian and actress Tig Notaro, who's going to share her experience of finding closure and helping others find closure during the height of the Me Too movement. And we will be hearing from some of you who called in too, because everyone's feelings on this show is always welcome. So without further ado, let's start talking and growing, friends. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey friends, this is a trigger warning. The first half of this episode, I will be speaking with someone who has experienced sexual abuse as a child. We do not discuss explicit details, but I still want to issue a warning. Now in the bio for this episode, I have provided a link that you can use if you need support with sexual abuse or just discussing your feelings. Again, this is a trigger warning, friends, but I still hope you learn and grow from this episode. So, Cody, thank you so much for being here. Is Cody your real name? Yeah. My grandmother picked it out for me. Do you like it? When I was growing up in my hometown, no. Yeah. Because it was mostly, like, boys and dogs that had that name. <laughs> but, yeah, no, my grandmother picked it out. My mom was going to pick me out a horrible name, so she kind of saved my life. So. Thank you so much for sharing and for coming in and speaking with me. So I kind of want to just hear about your life. I know you just talked about your grandma mm -hmm. saved your life by having you not be named Mandinka and being giving you the name Cody. Yeah. Where did you grow up? Have you heard of Lancaster, where all the Amish people live? Pennsylvania? Yeah. Yes, I have. So kind of in that general area, like farm town. It's called Daniel Boone. Okay. Truly from the boonies. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't really go back there now. My grandparents live in Boyertown, which is like a town over. So when I do go home, that's where I stay. Yeah. In Boyertown area. So your grandparents were close in your life. I heard you just say that your mother had you when she was young. Mm -hmm. How old was your mother? She was, I want to say, maybe 21 okay. or something at an all-Christian college, which mm. I think definitely had a play in how our relationship is, like, panned out for sure. Got it. And so you also said that during that time, your mother and you didn't have the best relationship because of, you think, her Christian background. What was going on with your relationship with your mom? I think that probably it was really stressful for her to get pregnant at a Christian college, coming mm -hmm. from a really religious, like, background. She always kind of raised me in the, like, way that I kind of had to have you, or at least that's how, like, she made me feel growing up, for sure. And because my two brothers are from my stepfather, I always felt, like, a little different, even when I didn't know that I was not their full sister, because I didn't find that out till like, I was 11. Yeah. 
And so I know in the email you sent to me, something traumatic happened. My stepfather was sexually abusive, but along with that always comes like emotional, mental, and other types of physical abuse. When that's happening to you when you're really, really young, and again, like anybody you talk to would probably say the same thing, like you don't really know that that's what it is until you meet somebody and like are with them a lot. For me, it was my best friend, Jen, um, who I met in like fifth grade and we're still like sisters, but she was really the first person that I was hanging out with a lot. I'm like observing like her relationship with her dad and her family where I was like, it's just like completely different where then yeah. I started questioning like, oh, maybe my relationship with my dad is like not normal. You know yeah. what I mean? Also, mm -hmm. like I'm growing up in a farm town where like religion is just like really, really big and you're not talking about sex or anything like that. So my big thing, like because I'm really interested in art therapy, the reason I'm interested in that is because I think that if you are able to like talk to children younger maybe you need not talk to them, but able to like show them like certain images so they have things to identify with, yeah. then you're able to like teach them the vocabulary they need in order to like talk about stuff like this. But nobody wants to have to talk to kids about sex and abuse and whatever else because that's uncomfortable and they don't think they should expose them to that. But I think everybody could see in 2018 and 2019, these are things that are like happening. Yeah. And if kids had the dialogue or felt like they could talk to people about it, they probably would earlier on. I agree with you. I think that there needs to be more emotional language that is taught to kids because what happens is they don't learn how to express themselves. And so they sort of hold it in because if you don't have the words to say, yeah. it, you know, then it's like, what do I do? How do I express what's going on? I agree with you in every single way because people are afraid as adults to have those conversations, yeah. then they're not happening. It seems like we all of a sudden then go through school and then all of a sudden one day in eighth grade, someone comes in and is like, let me talk about getting pregnant. Right. And, you know, and now there's been a little bit more education by STDs, but that still doesn't mean that we're teaching people to understand that at a young age, you have the right to say no, mm -hmm. or if something is happening to your body that you actually can feel courageous to tell somebody and that you're not at fault. It's not your fault. Once I got to that point where I was like, okay, this stuff is definitely not normal. Then you start to feel like, all right, well, I've let this happen for so long. And a lot of cases for me, I mean, they got to a point where he was really kind of telling me like, well, you know, your mom's not going to believe you. And like, you let, you let this happen for like this long. So whatever. In the end, that is the one thing he was right about. My mom didn't believe me. And that was in some ways like more upsetting than, the abuse itself because that was what I was scared of for so long. So how did you find out that your mother didn't believe you about the abuse? Well, I went to Westchester University for a year, but also around that time I went home to my parents' house for like the last time and Jen stayed with me. She's known since seventh grade, something like that. Because I came in and was just like hysterical, couldn't keep my stuff together that particular day. And she and I just like, I finally just like told her um, and she didn't tell anybody, uh, you know, because I like asked her and because she's mm -hmm. a good friend. Yeah. But at that point, she was still, like, the only person that knew. I went home. It was for Christmas. We spent one night there. Woke up the next morning. My parents were, like, arguing about something because he was having an affair. And I don't know. Shortly, like, after that, when I went back to school after that particular experience at my house, I just knew I was never going to come back there again. And they're like, you don't want to go home, stay with your brothers, like, your mom and your dad. Like, they miss you. You have to forgive him, like, because everybody knew about this whole thing. Yeah. And I was on this, like— Really, honestly, kind of like a downward spiral. Like, I was definitely drinking a lot, getting in a lot of, like, trouble. I got in trouble with, like, the police. And after that, I was like, I have to tell somebody because I can't, like, keep avoiding the situation. Like, I can't just keep being like, oh, I just don't want to go home because he cheated on my mom. I mean, a lot of marriages have that happen for sure, and they work through it, and everybody is able to forgive them after a six-month period or whatever. And I just 
everybody thought that's what it was about. And I don't, I don't know. My grandmother picked me up from Westchester and she was like, you know, you really got to let this go. I was like, this isn't what it's about. Like, I was like, it's about everything else. And then just kind of told her at that point. And then to tell... And what was her response when you sh shared with her? I didn't really look at her face, but she was definitely really upset. I could tell that she had been crying a little bit. And she asked some more questions that at the time I did not tell her the full... Like, I hadn't told her the full story behind a lot of it. Because I was like, this is all that I can emotionally get out right now. Mm -hmm. um, and then Jen, she had she had come with me to tell my aunt. Because I'm really close to my aunt and my grandparents. And then I guess my grandmother told my grandfather because I really could not bring myself to do that. And then a month or two went by, I moved home, got myself together, like went to uh, inpatient therapy, went like every couple days, dealt with some other things, like because I didn't eat healthy or treat my body right, just yeah, out of habit from everything else. And at that point, we were like, all right, I'm going to tell, like we're going to tell my mom. So my grandmother and my grandfather came to a therapy session with me and she came. So it sounds like before you told your mother, there were an aunt, your grandma, grandpa that believed you. Yeah. And understood that you were a survivor. They this. definitely didn't doubt me for like a second, which was, I don't know, I guess I didn't really think about it that much with them. But it was really nice. And I was on a level probably a little surprised. Yeah. Um, because I can think back to specific times where I definitely tried to tell somebody. And it was ignored or like she's just making this up for attention type thing. Yeah. So I kind of learned pretty quickly, like whatever, it doesn't matter. So... Uh, but I definitely had a bad feeling going into that meeting with my mom. I just kind of like, I don't know if it was that I felt that it was too soon or I just was never going to be ready to begin with because I kind of already knew what was going to happen. And she just pretty much said that I was just making it up to get myself like out of trouble or have like a reason to be have acted the way that I did that year. Because up until that, I was like a really good student, very involved in like sports So she was and trying to say that th the... You using alcohol or whatever else was going on was the reason you were making something up. Yeah, for sure. And that really hurt. Uh, of course. Because literally immediately, like in that moment, I just like heard his like voice play back in my head and was like, that really sucks. So you were like right about that. Um, and I went into like a really bad place after that, for sure. Like really, really bad. Um, but then, I don't know, I gave it like a six month period where I was like, if she's not going to come around and like give me the love and the support that I've been deserving my entire life. Because, <laughs> like, he came in my life when I was two. My first memory is at four. Like, that's yeah. my very first memory of my childhood altogether. I mean, she definitely owed it to me, and she really let me down. So after that six-month period, I'm not crying about this anymore, and I'm going to, like, develop a new plan for myself, apply to school, and, like, get my life well, back together. Let's, you know, I, I appreciate the journey you've been on and how you have found moments to find clarity and to try to find growth and do those things, which I think is such a healthy behavior. And you, as you said, you went to therapy, and I can see that in, in your actions. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you've talked about this with your therapist, but the fact of the matter is that since you were a child, you were dealing with your mother denying you. And whether it was not, uh, you know, through her actions, but emotionally, she denied you. And, you know, to even share a story with a child that, well, I might not have wanted you. You know, whether she says those words or not, or she's alluded to it, that is heartbreaking. You didn't deserve it. And then here you are years later, and you're giving her an opportunity to say, hey, this has happened to me. And she has denied you again. But on top of the denial, she's minimized your experience. And by denying you and minimizing you, she's re-victimized you. And 
you then in turn said, I'm going to just do what I've been doing, protecting myself. I'm going to figure out my own plan because that's what you've had to do since you were a child. So at this point, had you had any conversations with your stepfather? No. Okay. And now, now that you've told her, have you, what's the conversation? So for like a month after that, I knew that she had not said anything to him because that's not really her deal. She just likes to bury things. Like, I mean, they always come back up, but like, that's what she does to cope with what's going on in her head. But I kind of knew nobody else was going to do it. I was like watching TV at my grandparents' house and I was like, I can't like deal with this anymore. I need him to know that like I like have told people. Yeah. So I just shot him a text message and said that and he responded with, I would have never done anything to hurt you. And I'm sorry that you think those things happened. So again, denying and minimizing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and part of me, I go back and forth. Part of me really believes that maybe he just doesn't remember a lot of that because he used to be like an alcoholic, like a drug addict. And my mom would work nights and this stuff would all happen when she wasn't really around until he start later on. He started to get a little ballsy about it. Mm-hmm. For the most part, it was like when I was really young and when she was working night shifts and was not going to be back for a while. And he'd come home from wherever he'd been on like a bender, just my brothers and I by myself at home. Yeah. So I sometimes think maybe just really doesn't remember it at all. But that's also, I feel like a coping mechanism for me. Like I know that he remembers Yeah, a lot of it. Yeah. There's no way you don't. So half the family is your mother. We know for sure your stepfather are saying, no, this didn't happen. You're wrong. And then the other half of the family says, we believe you. So what is it that you're looking for? I want to have my adoption 100% annulled. Like I don't want to have any any connection to him anymore. Mm -hmm. If I can't get some sort of judicial closure, then I feel like this is the next best thing for me. Mm -hmm. Because when people say Cody Hole, like I don't, I just immediately think about him. And that makes me feel really horrible about myself. Yeah. So right now you're in a space of looking for closure. Closure for you at this point could be annulling the adoption. What other ways do you see that closure is possible? Really the only other way I see that closure happening is if my mom were to really kind of like step up and take my side and I don't see that happening in the near future. I really don't even need anything from him. That's like the crazy thing about it is like I don't even feel like I need an apology or anything from him. I feel like it must be so horrible to be in his own head that that's kind of like good enough for me. And I see that in everything he's done since I came out about it, running away to a different state, literally cutting all ties with anybody from our hometown. You know what I mean? Like, I see that it probably makes him depressed. Yeah. Like, the thing is, is I don't hate my mom. I don't really hate him either. I actually feel really sorry for him because I really believe in the cycle of abuse. And I know he grew up in the Jehovah Witness Church. And I really believe that something happened to him to make him be the person that he is. Mm -hmm. So I just feel bad for him. Whereas my mom, like, if she were just come around and be like, I'm sorry, and I want to work things out, everybody in my family, including me, everybody would be there to support her and, like, help her get out of whatever emotional mess she's in from being married to this person who's also not nice to her. You know what I mean? So that would be the only other thing. But I don't see that happening in the next 15 years. Yeah. Have you ever asked her for an apology? Uh, Yeah. And what did she say? She doesn't, she doesn't ever really acknowledge that original question. She goes off on all these other, like, tangents that really aren't related. Yeah. She doesn't not believe me, but she thinks I misremember certain things. So I don't really even know how to take that. Yeah. I mean, it's her way of coping. Yeah. She knows in her subconscious that she has denied you, devalued you to some degree growing up. And she knows and she believes that she's part of the reason why you're hurting. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for people to face. It's, it's, she's like, well, I not only am in a place where I'm hurting— I also cause my daughter to be hurt 
because she doesn't have the emotional language or tools. She doesn't know how to express that to you. And so I do believe, I don't think you're just being optimistic. I do believe that's a coping method for her to go from no to, well, maybe there was just yeah. some things you misremembered. It's her way of trying to build up. I, I don't think that apology is not, not possible. I think it could be, but that doesn't mean you need to be waiting around. For yeah. That which is the truth of the matter, because you have to protect yourself, especially in a situation where you could be re-victimized, when you're in a situation where people are ultimately taking sides, you know what I mean? Which, again, re-victimizes you. And as a survivor, you should never be in a situation where you feel re-victimized or feel as if, like, I'm being minimized as a person, point being, for me speaking my truth. So with closure... Finding ways to find that closure and you saying with the adoption is, is or nulling the adoption is great. But there's other things that people can do to find that closure. Have you ever explored any other ways? When I was in art school, my senior thesis, I based around this whole situation for me in my life. And that was really therapeutic, which is why now I really am interested in art therapy as like a tool of overcoming trauma. Yeah. But that was really therapeutic Which is a great tool, by the way. Because <laughs> uh, you really don't have to talk. Yeah, do you don't. Yeah. Just put some stuff together and let everybody else yeah. figure it out, which I, everybody definitely did. Which but. people don't realize, and this is actually something that I recommend to people, is creating a ritual, a, a self-compassion ritual. And art is a self-compassion ritual because what happens is that every time you draw, if you draw something that makes you feel better, that makes you feel as if you're expressing what's going on, you're showing compassion to yourself, you're releasing the energy, and then when it becomes a daily habit, you start to associate the art that you see or have created with the better feelings and the healing that you're experiencing. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful that you're in a space right now where you actually already, you're a very smart woman, you already know that, <laughs> um, because that is the type of things that will help you to find closure while someone else is on their journey to finding the courage to give you the apology you need. If it took your mother four years to get to a space to say, I kind of believe you, I'm sure there's going to be more time that she's going to take for her to get there. Yeah. You can't stop your train because she hasn't left the station. And the truth of the matter is, is that you have to continue on and find ways to find closure without that apology. I appreciate the fact that you're doing the work right now and being so open because something else that I have learned a long time ago is that if you want to heal it, you have to reveal it. And your courage to even talk to me, to share this on the podcast, is a part of your closure and your healing. You know, and then to add a ritual like art to it is going to continuously get you to a space where you can find closure, find understanding. I'm so glad you have Jen. I'm so glad you have people in your family that are helping you because those support systems also help. Yeah, I think that's definitely like a, been a major part of it. I have like a very close group of friends that like I really needed to talk to about it. Yeah. They would be there because yeah. I've definitely met people where you want to talk to them about it or you're having like a bad day or you have like a flashback or something like that. And they're like, I really just can't deal with hearing that type of information and you want to be like, it's really not about you, but you also don't want to sound like a jerk. So yeah. Well, I don't think you would sound like a jerk if you said that. Oh, I have <laughs> yeah. for sure before. Uh, no. I, I, me personally, I don't think you would, but I understand what you're saying. It impulsively just came out of my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I don't really care what you think. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes we forget that we have to demand 
that our mental health and our emotional state be a priority. And sometimes people think like, oh, well, I'm a jerk if I demand that my emotional state and my mental state is a priority. And it's okay to say, I need to put me first. Yeah, it's, it's okay to say that. I need for me to be heard and I need for me to express what I'm going through. And all of those ways are healthy ways to find closure and to continue on this journey where you can heal. And as you've expressed, it's going to pop up. There's going to be days where things are going to come back. And as long as you're continuing to understand your mom's on her journey, can't stop your journey, that you have to find rituals or ways to show yourself compassion and you have to express what's going on, you'll be good. Yeah. Now, there's no hope in it. I, I, I believe it. I believe it. I can already see the work you've done on yourself. And so, you know, if you've even done this much, trust and believe. You have like a loose 50-year plan. So (laughs) fully on track. (laughs) A loose 50-year plan is pretty good. You know what I mean? Most people don't even have a a 100-year plan. So you're you're way ahead of the curve. The 50-year plan ends in me being CEO of the world. So like... Um, (laughs) I sign up for it. Where do I sign the petition? (laughs) Well, um, Cody, thank you so much for being here today and sharing. I really appreciate your your vulnerability and your strength and just for sharing your story. Awesome. Thanks so much. Is an apology necessary to receive closure? No, because my closure is going to come from me and the work I've done to get over a situation. I don't want to have to rely on somebody seeing what they did wrong and giving me the apology. That might never happen, and I don't want to sit around and wait for that. I'd rather start my healing on my own. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I don't think an apology is necessary for receiving closure because when you're seeking closure, I think if you go in expecting something like an apology, you're not going to leave fully fulfilled and you're not going to get the closure that you actually need. And I feel like sometimes that means just talking it out, hearing someone else's opinion, hearing why someone did what they did and coming to terms with the fact of why they did that. 
don't necessarily think that an apology is necessary for closure. I think that there's some instances when just growing up and being able to move on from something that has really torn you down in the past, you just age and maturity and time, but you can just forgive and move on. I don't think that an apology is necessarily necessary. I think that there's a lot of different factors that can play a part in the closure process. I'm joined by the amazing and awesome Tig Nataro. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks. Well, I'm. This we're in my office. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, you're, you're thank right. you. Thank you. Thank, thank you for yeah, coming. Thank you yeah. for having me. Have you always been <laughs> this funny your entire life? I was definitely the class clown and and drawn to comedy. I followed stand up. Yeah. My mother was very funny. My father, my stepfather. We come from a very kind of wild family, borders on. Crazy, but not crazy, crazy, yeah. but just. <laughs> we march to our own beat. Yes. That type of thing. Yeah, deal. yeah. I like that. Sure. What I love about you as a comedian is that you are so open about the things you've been through in your life, mm-hmm. which a lot of comedians don't do that. Why do you choose to be open about your struggles? Well, I was not always. Yeah. I mean, my first album called Good One is just very observational, but it's not revealing in any way. But I think my turning point was when my album Live came out in 2012. And I had, within four months, been diagnosed with this intestinal disease, pneumonia. My mother tripped and died unexpectedly. I went through a breakup. I was diagnosed with invasive cancer. And I just, in those four months, saw how quickly things can unravel. Mm-hmm. And my, the ground under my feet really started to get shaky. And I had no reason to think I was going to live yeah, and or be okay. As a stand-up who absolutely loves doing stand-up, I thought, I'm going to just do a show, and I'm going to share what I'm going through and see if I can make it funny at all. And then I also thought if I if I don't, that'll also be funny if it bombs, <laughs> if, you know, like that I go. If I don't make it funny, yeah. that's actually also funny yeah, as well. Yeah, there was something that amused me about that where I thought, well, how funny if I go out and bear it all and then it just awkwardly tanks and then I die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, I was kind of okay with that. And uh, because I had lost everything. Yeah. And so when you're at that place, you just, you know, you have nothing else to lose. So I thought I would take that chance. And it went well. And then it was well received. I, I took my own advice, which is when I see other comedians or artists, musicians, whatever, and they're scared to evolve or change and, and they, oh, I'm. I'm dark and I'm brooding and I play a harmonica and I, and then it's like, but what if you want to do something else? Yeah. Like, do that. Yeah. Maybe that will be so exciting in a way you'd never know. Yeah. When you were in this hard moment and you decided like, I'm going to write this, what did that do for you? Like, how did that help you or did it not help you? Oh, it completely helped me because that is the moment that that 2012 performance that album live it just it changed everything because 
I was able to see that it's okay to let people know that I'm struggling or to say that I'm scared or ask for help. I remember after getting out of the hospital and having incisions across my chest and my friend saying, we're going to stay with you and take care of you. My friend that I have known since I was a small child, Yeah. she and her husband, they were like, we're going to stay and take care of you. And I said, oh, no, 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 I'm fine. Meanwhile, I couldn't lift my arms up. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. And I realized, yeah, I, I need help. Mm-hmm. My mother's dead. I'm single. I can't do anything. And so that really shifted for me. And not that I want to walk around, help, help. I, I can't <laughs> do anything on my own um, through life. But when you need help, people want to help. People mm-hmm. have that need to give and give back. And anytime somebody needs something, people are usually, it just come out in droves yeah. for the most part. Yeah, completely. Um, I think it's human nature. How and did you find the words to say, I need help? Because that's a difficult thing for most people. I don't think I did it directly. I think that performance I did was, uh, I think I was scared. Mm-hmm. I was ready to share that. Sarah Silverman came to see me I mean, daily at the hospital when I had the intestinal disease. And when I got out of the hospital, I ran into this uh, this comedian, Pete Holmes, and he said, oh, my gosh, Sarah showed me pictures of you. And I was, I was, uh, you know, I hope you're okay. And I, I was so mad at Sarah. And I called her. I was like, you cannot show. I don't want anyone to know. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's what I would do. I wouldn't care. And so I didn't even think about, I'm so, you know, and, and I, now I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. I talk about uh, in my standup, having to wear an adult diaper. I talk <laughs> about every, not, I'm not walking through life in an yeah. adult diaper, but I, um, but if I we was, didn't assume that. Yeah. if yeah. I was, yeah. I am certain I would be talking about it. It's mm-hmm. just allowed me that ability to be this open and share but also coming to a place in life where I'm trying to find boundaries with it because people do expect everything from me mm. and they want to tell me everything. They want me to tell them everything. And I really need to and have been trying to figure out where are the lines. Yeah. This is really about an episode about closure. Mm-hmm. You gave yourself closure by expressing and talking about it and asking for help. And then I think what also is extraordinary about you, which... Go I, on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Is by telling people in a moment, like, I can't talk about this or I'm not able to be there for you. You actually give other people a sort of closure so they're not lingering and thinking, like, maybe... Tig doesn't like me. Maybe Tig doesn't want me around. You actually let them know, like, this is me, and it's okay because it's just a boundary I'm setting. Well, you know, one of my older, longer friendships, Mm -hmm. um, it's somebody that, I mean, we were so tight. And in, I would say, the past 10 or 15 years, we haven't been as close. And her... A family member, a very close family member of hers, was. She, they got this diagnosis that he was terminally ill, and she reached out to me, and I was in a really bad spot. Yeah. And my instinct was to just bite my lip, 
and just be there for her because she didn't know that I was going through something horrendous. And so that was a major thing, that moment where I had to say, you know what, I, and I shared what I was going through, and I said, I unfortunately cannot be there for you mm-hmm. right now. And I am very sorry to say that, but I just emotionally, I can't do it. And she completely understood. Yeah. And her response was, you've been there for me for our whole lives. And and I hope that you know we can connect again. There's something soon. powerful about that. That's something that I try to do more and more, but it's hard when you have to say to somebody, I can't be there for you. Yeah, it's like, tough. Yeah, it's tough because you want to, you feel like, they're going to look at me as a bad guy. Like yeah. I'm not, you know, yeah. I'm mean, I'm whatever, selfish, right. or whatever these words are. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, I got to take care of me, which yeah. is most important. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so something that you've done where you have actually said you can take care of other people is during the Me Too movement, the height of it, mm-hmm. you actually came out and publicly spoke about the struggles that some of the women were going through and supported them. Well, I think it's... It's everybody's fight. Male, female, non-binary, gay, straight, old, Mm -hmm. young. I mean, whether it's happened to an individual or a family member or just caring about the human race, it needs to be discussed. I found out directly that Mm -hmm. people that I knew had been harassed or assaulted. I could have we all could have spoken sooner. Mm-hmm. We all could have risen up sooner. Yeah. But I do, I find it fascinating. And I use this example about how desperate people are to have abusive people return. Mm-hmm. I would always use the example of if there was a janitor that was just masturbating in the hallways <laughs> of a wanna, building. I'm not trying to laugh. But I mean, <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you were in an office building yeah. and there was some guy masturbating, <laughs> nobody would be like, okay, that's freaky and weird. He apologized. He yeah. acknowledged he did it. Yeah. He was great at his job. We got to get him back in here. Mm-hmm. There's probably somebody else we can get in here that's not that we don't even have to worry about. Yeah. That's not even tempted to be masturbating. <laughs> At his job yeah, or whatever it is yeah. that they're doing. I just do not understand that. What was the response from the survivors that you spoke out on their behalf? What was their response to you? They were appreciative, but I also think they had so much going on. There's people with ongoing death threats. And yeah. I didn't swoop in and try to be somebody that's going to take care of things and save the day. But I was just like, this is so unacceptable. Yeah. And if you want to talk about it, I am absolutely here yeah. to to talk about it. I've certainly talked with them in a supportive manner, but I've also publicly wanted to show my support, like I mentioned. But I can say from speaking to people, not directly that you mm-hmm. supported, but I know that people who were in have dealt with this, uh-huh. have been harassed, who have been yeah. they when someone speaks out for them, uh-huh. they they feel validated. They feel loved. And it does help them on that journey to find closure. Oh. Because it helps them to say, oh my gosh, like I'm not making this up in my mind. I'm not alone. People believe me. People love me. And you did that for people. I think it's really 
hard to not feel like you've fabricated something or exaggerated or misunderstood. It's crazy making. Yeah. You have a lot of amazing things going on. And I kind of want to make sure everyone knows to support and to um, make sure they're up on everything TIG. TIGNOTARO.com. Boom. Well, out of your busy schedule, thank you for taking a moment to talk to me about your life and being open and talking about closure. I appreciate you. I'm a fan. Opened um, and closed. I think you're amazing. So thank you so much. As as are you. Well, thank you so much, Tig. Thank you. Appreciate you. Alrighty. Apologizing is not necessarily necessary for receiving closure. Uh, I think it really helps and it kind of depends on the situation. If you're in a situation where if you're healthier without that person in your life and it needs to be a clean break, I think you need to just move on regardless of if you get an apology or not. It's really, really hard, but I think in order to actually move on, you have to just let that go, whether they apologize or not. I think it's good for you to be able to do that, but you have to be kind of secure in yourself to know that it's not your fault necessarily. If it's on your fault, then I think, you know, you should always apologize. But, you know, if they're not, then don't take that on yourself and let that hold you back. Without an apology, it just leaves an open gap. Your mind starts wandering, you interpret things a whole different way, and it could be the person on the other side that's probably apologizing. You guys are thinking differently. So if you get that apology, I think it'll, it kind of sews up whatever issue that was there. I want to start off by thanking Cody for sharing her story, thank everyone who called in and shared their feelings on closure, and lastly, I want to thank the funny and amazing Tignataro for coming on the show and sharing her truth. Listen, friends, at the end of the day, we all deserve closure, but sometimes the apology you need will not come from the person who hurt you. Sometimes it's got to come from ourselves. But as you're on that journey to getting closure from others or by healing yourself, there are things you can do, like... Truly identify who you need closure from. This is a big one because like we saw in Cody's story, it wasn't necessarily the person you assumed she needed the apology from. The reason this is important is because it allows you to be clear about what is hurting you or affecting you so that you can find answers within yourself or through conversations with someone who can help you navigate your feelings. Which brings me to my second tip. As you're working on your own timeline to get closure, which means don't let nobody rush your pace of healing yourself because people try to rush you, you got to find the courage to share your truth with others who can support you. As I've always said, you got to reveal it to heal it. And lastly, I want you to create a ritual to remind yourself how you have grown and how special you are beyond this incident that you need closure from. Trust me when I say this is important and it's something you can practice every day by yourself. Start small by constantly reminding yourself how loved you are, how special you are, how important you are, that this situation isn't your fault. Whatever it is you need to say to yourself, just say some type of positive affirmation to yourself daily so that you can start to build your self-esteem as you're finding closure. Remember friends, closure is up to you and you have the power within yourself to find that closure. Thank you, friends, for listening and growing with me. Until next time, remember, take care of yourself and each other. Karamo is presented by Luminary Media. It is hosted by me, Karamo. 
Music by Ernie Wooden. Remember, friends, this is an entertainment advice show. If you need direct help or direct advice on a physical, mental, or emotional issue that you are dealing with, please contact a licensed professional in your town who can advise you. And as always, friends, take care of yourself so that we can take care of each other. For more healing, growth, and a real conversation, check out another episode of Karamo. Hey, friends! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 